You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. In chapter 17, we reach what is the chiastic center of Abraham's life. If you haven't heard about chiasms in scripture before, those are the ways in which ancient people showed what was most important. They would put it in the middle where we would put it at the end. And so between chapter 12 and 21, chapter 17 finds itself in the center, thereby saying of all the things about Abraham's life, this is the most important. And what we find in chapter 17 is the covenant of circumcision. It's the covenant that shows that Abraham has a part in this covenant as much as what God does. And so this is going to be two parties committing to a relationship, just not God himself doing everything for Abraham. Up to this point, it's looked like it would be just Abraham kind of sitting back and appreciating all of the goodness of God. But God says, no, I have some plans for you, Abraham, and I'm going to use you and I'm going to use your descendants. He comes to him in chapter 17 when he's 99 years old. This is almost 25 years after the first time that he showed up. And he says to him, hey, Abraham, I want you to know I am going to make you a great people. He's already told him that in chapter 15. Then he follows it up in verse 9 by saying, now you must keep my covenant. And in order to keep my covenant, you're going to need to have a sign that you will obey me, that you will trust me, that you will be my people and I will be your God. And this will be the rite of circumcision. Within the ancient world, this was not an uncommon act of worship or identity within a culture. The Egyptians and many other Western Semitic cultures use circumcision as a way to delineate their people. The Egyptians would use it as a sign of marking. They wouldn't fully circumcise the penis, but they would just cut it and show some, it'd almost be like a tattoo or a mark on it, showing what family or what tribe they were from. In other Western Semitic cultures, they would be circumcised by their in-laws, and they would be taken into that tribe when they married that girl, and they would take that sign, and some of them would do full circumcision, some of them would make a mark uh, in that process. The reason why we think that God comes to him at this time is because Ishmael, we're going to find out in the next chapter, is 13 years old. And at 13 years old, that's considered the time of puberty or the time of coming into your manhood. And in most of the cultures in the Western Semitic world, circumcision was given at that time. That was either the time that they became a man within their tribe and were circumcised, or soon to that time was when they would take a wife and they would be circumcised into the tribe that they were going to join. So Abraham's probably asking the question, what do I do with Ishmael? Is he supposed to be circumcised or is he not? So God shows up and he says, you know what? He is going to be circumcised, but here's the thing. He's going to be circumcised as not the cherished 
seed, which would have completely blown Abraham's mind. In fact, in verse 19, God says, Yes, your wife will bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. It will be an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. So Abraham, using the ancient Semitic culture, would have seen having a child with Hagar given to him by Sarai as a perfectly legitimate son who would have inherited the rights that God had promised to him. He was doing what he thought was right within his culture, but God had a different plan. Now, he didn't have the plan of immaculate conception. Sometimes this is what we think happens with Abraham and Sarah. What happens, though, is something even harder in the process. Abraham reports back to God, I'm nearly 100, Sarai is nearly 90. There's no way that we're going to have children. Now, in their world, they tend to live a little bit longer. We see that Abraham's going to live about 130 years and Sarai just a little bit short of that. If we were to rough it out to what we're used to in our world, it would be like a 75-year-old man and a 70-year-old woman having a child. It's, It's inconceivable. It just, it doesn't happen, especially for someone who is childless. And that is the biggest hurdle in this whole chapter. They're not only going to have to trust God, they're going to have to trust God in true, deep pain and suffering. That's the pain and suffering that people who have tried to have a child for many, many years and have been unable to conceive would only be able to tell you how hard and difficult this statement would be. They have tried. They long ago have seen that the course of events is not going to lead to them having a child. They have taken it. They've gone on with life. Within that world, it was an even greater curse on the woman that there was something wrong with her, something, in fact, sinful potentially, that was keeping them from having a child. They've borne that shame. They're close to their later years of life. It just isn't going to happen. And God says, no, Sarai is going to bear a child. And to give you an assurance of this, I am going to change your names. In the ancient world, giving someone a name was a statement of authority, and it was a statement of identity, and it was a statement of promise. Abram means exalted father, and when it's in that construction, it usually refers to the father who is exalted by the birth of this son, which would be Abram. So his father is saying, I'm a great man because I had this son. So Abram's life is all about making his father's name great. Yahweh says, I am going to name you Abraham, which means father of the nations, which is a forward-looking name, a name that says there will be many who come from you and will call you father. They will be your descendants. They will be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand in the middle of the desert. It just inconceivable how many people who will will come from you. Abram responds by laughing, and God responds with just a great kind of turn of words here. He says, okay, so if you want to laugh about you giving birth to a son through a sexual relationship with your aged wife, Sarai, we're going to name the kid Isaac, which in Hebrew means laughter. God says, you know what? I'll take it. This is funny. 
This almost seems like a joke, but Abram, if you will trust me, your wife Sarai, she will now be called Sarah or princess. Princesses were the ones who gave birth to the heirs, the ones who ruled over the throne. And that was just a great statement of, I am going to turn your shame into joy, and I am going to bring bring laughter to your hearts. I am going to do a great thing. Like we talked about in the chapter before with Hagar and Ishmael, he's not going to write off Ishmael, not condemn him. Abram was doing his best to try to follow God's plans within his understanding, and God doesn't condemn him in that. He says, I will make Ishmael a great nation. I will do great things through him, but I've made my choice. My choice is to work through laughter. My choice is to work through the ways you seem to think are impossible. And I think that's the greatest lesson to learn here in chapter 17 and why it's the chiastic center. It's to take us and to really make the point that God works in ways that completely change our destiny. We are not defined by our past. We are not defined by what other people have named us. We are not defined by what we have been incapable of doing. We are defined by God's call in our lives, and He is faithful and will produce what needs to be produced in the right time and the right way. He asks us to trust Him even when it is painful, even when we've tried 500 times before and we say, this doesn't work, I know that this isn't going to work, I've already gone down this road, and He says, no, this is where I want you to go, this is what I want you to do. If we are willing to trust him, we can become descendants of faith, just like Abraham, that we will see his nation produced through us and that that nation will bring joy. It will bring new life and it will bring about his covenant promises and his covenant promises should mark us. They should mark us as a distinct people. The sign of the covenant, the circumcision, was taken by Abraham that day, and everyone in his household was shown to be the descendant of Yahweh. They were his people now. And we have the same choice today and every day. Will we choose to have our hearts marked, as it talks about in the New Testament, our hearts marked by circumcision, that we would be removed from all of the things that are the norm that we were born with and that we will be marked as a new identity, God's people that will trust him because he is faithful to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask for or imagine. That is the God who reveals himself to Abraham and to us in Genesis chapter 17. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.